Welcome to the Frame of Reference podcast. Well, as another month swings by, we wanted to bring back the focus on one of our tentpole topics, mental health. It's not always a linear progression into the field of mental health and counseling. Life sometimes has other things planned for you, but I always find it fascinating when people still find their way into it as their mission is usually to help others and solve problems where they can. Our guest today is Sandy Boone. She's a licensed professional counselor, a coach, and a consultant. She's licensed in the states of Georgia and South Carolina with the ability to do telehealth in Florida. Her firm is Foothold Counseling, and she also runs a coaching and consulting business which focuses on helping women thrive and not just survive the day-to-day of their lives. We talk about why going to therapy with a goal in mind matters, about burnout and stress, and how that can alter our self-perception. We talk about PTSD, and even how physical health and diet play a big role. Shopping through therapists, because not every therapist can help with every situation always, is also a big conversation topic. Sandy even mentions that it's okay to disagree with your therapist and talk about what you want out of it. I found this conversation very interesting and there's lots of good content in this one. So I hope you enjoy. Well, hello, Sandy. How's it going? Going well. How are you doing, Ash? I'm doing very well. Thank you for again for taking the time to to be on the podcast. I I really appreciate you know talking to people in the mental health uh, space. So uh, it's something that we've been talking about on the podcast for a long time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, you know how you got into this space. Um, you know we'll talk about what you're currently working on as well, but. I'd, I'd love to understand what got you into uh, the mental health field and, you know, what, what uh, you know, you're excited about, about this industry. Okay. So counseling is actually a second career for me. Um, I was in the medical field for almost 20 years and really took a, a creative route to get to where I am. Um, I worked in drug research and realized fairly early on that my my patients got better um regardless of drug or placebo <laughs> and the drug companies knew that as well so um i had gone as far as i could go in that field without going back to school and getting a bachelor's degree um i was working with an associate's degree and so i thought well, if i'm going to go back to school i'm going to do something that i really want to do Um, counseling was on my radar in high school. It just wasn't economically feasible to invest in my education at that point. Um, so I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, knowing I was going to go on and get my master's degree. And, um, here I am, I graduated at 40 with a master's degree. So, um, I knew early on that I wanted to go into private practice. It's very important to me that my clients have autonomy and that they get to make choices about what therapy looks like. And so I feel like there are enough barriers for mental health that we didn't need another one. So I went into private practice immediately after graduation. Um, my medical background served me well, and I realized really early on that we cannot separate mind and body. Mm-hmm. And so in working with my clients, I was really interested in working with clients that had trauma and particularly clients that really didn't identify traumatic experiences. So when we think of PTSD and trauma, we think of, you know, medical uh military experience or, you know, car accidents or assault or that sort of thing. But we really don't think about the attachment and the relational aspect. And so a lot of times these clients show up for me in my office with depression or not feeling connected or just struggling to be present in their relationships. And so I work with clients that are expressing those concerns and really going back and trying to get them into their body and really use body-based therapies to kind of get the life they want. That's wonderful. Um, I, I know you're a practice owner at uh, Wake Forest University. That's correct. 
I am. I am. Go Deeks. <laughs> nice. Um, you've got to shout that out. And I, I love that you're focusing on PTSD. I know you we just uh, touched base on that, but you mentioned whole body based techniques. So I'm curious, what do you what do you mean by whole body based techniques and what are some examples? So Dr. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And the body absolutely keeps the score in everything that happens to us. So that was kind of my springboard for going down this path in addition to my medical background. Um, so body-based techniques, I'm looking at um, things such as brain spotting, somatic experiencing, and also really looking at, you know, how are you sleeping? How much exercise are you getting? Are you eating McDonald's every day? Lunch? <laughs> you know, like, are you eating real food so that you can get nutrition? And, you know, we can tweak these things that are really, really mild changes and we can get big results. And so sometimes that looks like with my clients, you know, most, most people have a primary care physician. And so it's like, have they checked this particular blood level or have we looked at this? You know, you're not feeling rested even when you slept 12 hours. Maybe we need a sleep study, you know, and really um, teaching clients to advocate for what they need from a medical perspective and um, so that they can, again, live that best life, whatever that looks like for them. That's a very good point. Um, we, we often forget, like you said, when people come in after accidents and they're complaining about detachment and loneliness and um, depression and like you said, you know, depression is like the body keeps tabs. I love that idea because, I mean, in, in every culture, I think people believe that in some sense, uh, too. I think goes back to like ancient traditions and a lot of cultures that the body keeps tabs in some way, right? Um, right. I'm just, so is that what you mean by whole person treatments? Is that what you're, um, you know, focusing on? Because I think that's something that, that the field, the mental health field is not focusing on as a whole. And it's something that is definitely missing not the the mental health field is not looking at that and and really medicine as a whole like our our medical system i mean certainly i certainly don't mean to bash the medical system because i think we're all doing the best we can but you know the medical system is designed to cre create uh treat acute things you know i have a sore throat oh it's strep throat um you know i have an infection because i cut my finger let's treat that but our our doctors aren't really taught preventative medicine per se. And we could get into another conversation about that, that third party payers aren't really going into preventative medicine either. And so really looking at preventative, you know, how, yes, you may have had this traumatic event happen. What can we do to shift what happened? Like from the body perspective, not that we make it go away because we don't, but, you know, for example, cortisol, the stress hormone, I suspect that every one of us has a high cortisol level because we are in a society that we do the things all day long. We're stressed, our jobs, we're working 80 hours a week. We're not taking naps. We're not, you know, we're in office buildings that have terrible lighting and that catches up with us. You know, we just, we can't continue at this breakneck speed to do these things that our bodies were never designed to do. Agreed. I think one of the reasons why I think the last three years especially felt exhausting is um, a, a sort of back and forth between that lifestyle and realizing, you know, you have so much at home to take care of as well. And that in itself is a job, right? And yeah, you know, yeah. Care of your, your own house in, in many ways um, becomes not just like um, performative, but more of like, hey, you know, this, this is something that always mattered. I don't know how we weren't taking care of this before. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I've shared with my husband, shout out to my husband, he's a great man. And, you know, he's willing to do anything that I ask him to do, right? Load the dishwasher, pick kids up, whatever needs to be done. But that mental load of keeping all the balls in the air, mm. you know, my day job was less stressful than managing my household. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and I think a lot of us see that that's not just specific to women. I think women are probably more vocal about it than men are, but you know, men feel that too. They're not, they're not living up to, you know, this is the good life. This is what I dreamed about as a kid. No. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, that's there's something there's uh, something to be said about that in North America specifically. Like I'm in Canada right now, and uh, I speak to a lot of you know men in my circle, and then we've had mental health experts on the podcast speak about a loneliness epidemic amongst men. Um, yeah. And of course, it helps having a great partner at home. You know, it's it's always Absolutely. a great help. But um, you know, there there is a sort of missing aspect in a lot of men's lives too um, when it comes to getting a, like a proper support system and you know therapy does I would I would believe help a huge part play a huge portion in, in their lives but like you said I think there has to be a more whole body approach right because yeah. there are some physical traumas to deal with and you know um, it's not just hey let's tackle the loneliness issue uh, yeah. alone right and you know from my perspective it's almost and putting this in air quotes it's almost easier to treat, you know, a broken bone or some laceration or mm -hmm. something like that, because it registers to your brain, hey, this thing happened, here's a physical aspect damage that occurred, and then your brain, your eyes are going to transmit information to your brain that says this, you know, this is healing, look, you know, the stitches are coming out, or I no longer need to wear a bandage, or, you know, here are the x-rays showing whatever change was there, that emotional piece of, you know, a, someone that was not nurtured as a child or someone that was told they were stupid or mm. they grew up hungry or whatever the case may be, the brain doesn't get the message that that's over. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have to get into those body-based therapies, I feel like, to let the brain get the message hey, that's not what's going on right now. That's then, you know, the part of our brains that hold trauma, it has no sense of time and no language. Talk therapy is not going to fix that. That's very insightful. Yeah, no sense of, yeah, I get that. I mean, so, I mean, going back to body-based therapy for, let's say, you know, somebody who's been through PTSD um, or going through it, how would you approach that? Like, you know, at a high level, like what, what would that look like for someone um, going through that? And I, I'm just thinking mostly because PTSD is one of those undiagnosed uh, conditions for a lot of people, right? Like they don't know yeah. they're going through it until somebody says those words and even implying that you have it is a sort of like a label that you- Yeah, there's a stigma, definitely. A stigma, definitely, yeah. So two things that I do very early on in treatment actually three. First, the psychoeducation piece, you know, the the part of your brain that acknowledges that there's trauma has no sense of language and no sense of time. So, mm -hmm. and, and really trying to take the stigma out of that and saying, you know, you're just doing, your body is doing, your brain is doing what it's supposed to do. It's just doing it too good. <laughs> it's, it's too efficient at it. And so, you know, psychoeducation first, and then the second piece of that is the foods that we're eating no longer have the nutritional value that they did probably not even 20 years ago, definitely not a hundred years ago. And, you know, we're, we're eating foods that were developed in a plant, not from a plant. And so my second recommendation is always, can we do away with the junk food and the lack of real food? And this is meats, fruits, vegetables, like not burgers and fries and hot dogs and all of those things, because the burger probably is soy and isn't even a burger. Like, so that's the second piece of what small changes can we make because we don't want to overwhelm an already overwhelmed system. What small changes can we make? Can we start eating at home? Can we have relationship with our partner in the kitchen and cook dinner together? cutting vegetables, whatever we choose. And, and don't be afraid to use, you know, systems that are already in place. You know, my family and I recently, there's a store here um, in South Carolina that it's meal prep, it's real food. I order on, you know, Thursday or Friday, pick up on Sunday. We have real food on the days I eat <laughs> or the days I work, we're, we're yeah. going to eat real food. And so that's the second piece. And then the third piece is really getting into your body. So 
And that can be really overwhelming when there's been trauma, particularly trauma in childhood, you know, with nurturing and that sort of thing. But start small. You know, I tell clients all the time in my chair right now, I have a Sherpa blanket in my chair. It, it goes through the bottom of my chair down. I can feel it on my legs. When my clients are sharing traumatic things with me, I notice that Sherpa blanket that I feel on my legs. You know, as I'm eating lunch, you know, how does this piece of chicken taste in my mouth? What flavors am I able to pick up on? Um, you know, what do I hear when the house is quiet? You know, do I hear the heating and air conditioning system running? Do I hear, um, I'm a saltwater tank person. So I hear my fish tank, you know, I hear the water in my fish tank and just really getting back to those five senses and befriending your body so that you're able to take the cues from your body. That's hard work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's a very, I, I really appreciate that approach because it's sort of meditative in a way, but also adds, um, adds the sensations that we should be feeling. And uh, I really like that you brought up the food part of it because we don't talk about that enough in the mental health space because although, you know, it's talked about by, you know, practitioners of all types, um, we forget how our relationship with food essentially, you know, alters our emotions, our hormones, our day-to-day -day energy levels. And you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, if we think about the fast food that we eat, if you really think about the taste, you, you really think it's an engineered to sort of make you feel like that serotonin or dopamine hit. But then later on, you're like, well, did I really need that? Or did I really need to chew my food a bit more and just feel the meat? Right. Or like and feel even that. Yeah. Like actually chewing your food. Like how often do we sit down for a meal and we have no recollection other. Oh, look, it's all gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Like, I think as as guys, we're we're quite guilty of that because I think there's like a part of it that is, hey, this is fuel, and you know, there's some protein in it. Why not, right? And right. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's about going back to the basics, right? Um, of of feeling the food as well, and not all of it has to be instantly delicious. And let's be honest, like there has each part plays a component, you know, in, in right. the nutrition. So not like we should only be eating broccoli 24 7 exactly exactly and you know like I said I've never met a potato I don't like <laughs> no matter how you prep the potato yeah. I like the potato yeah. but you know we just can't have potatoes every single meal like, we That's need right. we need the color you mm -hmm. know we need I, I tell clients I mean eat the colors of the rainbow you know maybe you have a sweet potato instead of yeah. a regular white potato or you know maybe you have you know, broccoli or asparagus. And, you know, if you don't like these things, because I wasn't a huge vegetable eater when I was young, that's why we have seasonings. <laughs> you know, there's something that you, there's going to be something that you like. One of the things I realized as I started my own journey, I didn't like a lot of these vegetables because they were cooked to death, <laughs> you know, which is what right. we do in the South, like slow cook this and, and, you know, no, I don't want mush. <laughs> you know? I agree. But, you know, suddenly if I'm roasting them mm -hmm. and there's some seasoning that I like, you know, here we have a, a store that there's different flavors of olive oil, you know, and you can, you can have asparagus 12 different ways, you know, surely one of those you're going to like. And when you start eating real food, your taste buds are going to change. Yeah, it almost like goes back to some of the unified conversations that we're having around food in North America is, you know, you think about the subsidies that go towards fast food. And then you think about, you know, the financial implications of eating healthy. Um, a lot of times that becomes a mental health issue in itself is, you know, I can't afford the food that makes me feel good or I can't afford mm -hmm. the lifestyle that makes me feel good. Um, I think there's definitely like a fear aspect to it. Um and, and that takes me back to one of the things I think I saw in your bio is that you were talking about functional medicine and you, you were talking about that as well. Um, what did you learn about functional medicine as like a cure to our modern issues? And 
you know, what is your learning from, from that as to like how it should be applied going forward? Yeah. So functional medicine is a very individualized approach. Um, we're going to everything, in my opinion, it all goes back to the gut. So, you know, when we think about the physical issues that we're having related to, gut, to the gut, diarrhea, constipation, indigestion, you know, bloating, all of those things, you know, what that tells me as a, as a functional medicine provider is there may be a food intolerance, you know, there may be, um, an allergy, just a flat out allergy to a, a food. Um, and again, we're genetically modifying what we're eating. So like the tomato is no longer a tomato, right? Like it's some, something that our bodies aren't really recognizing. And so from the functional medicine standpoint, it's time. It it takes a lot of time, you know, like we've got to look at the individual. What are the symptoms they're having? What are the, what's their lifestyle looking like? You know, are they working 60 hours a week? Um, Do they, are they engaging in any self-care practices, which don't have to be, you know, you you think self-care, you think massage. No, walking with your feet in the dirt is a a self-care process. Um, you know, and so really looking at these symptoms and saying, oh, well, you know that if we're having crashes in the afternoon, a lot of us crash around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, well, how many carbohydrates did we have at lunch? You know, did we have four cups of coffee in the morning and now we're just losing the caffeine? Um you know, it's looking at blood sugar. It's looking at, um, it's really looking at symptomology, trying to figure out what it could be and kind of matching that with the lifestyle and then changing those lifestyle things. Um, you know, when I have a client sitting in front of me, there's lots of things that I think could improve, but if I throw all of these things at you at one time, that's overwhelming. And so one thing, you know, with clients is like, we're going to take this one step at a time, you know, let's start with what could we do to ensure that you're getting as close to eight hours of sleep as possible? You know, maybe that means we start with exercise first, because that's going to give you more energy. And then it's also going to make your sleep more restorative, right? And maybe we say, I just want you to go on a walk for 20 minutes twice this week. That's it. Is that doable? And, you know, part of my job is checking in with clients too, because I actually had a client ask me once if I were a witch, because I was so spot on with, with what was going on with her. But, you know, really a lot of the things that I'm suggesting are weird you know, like how can, you know, how can taking gluten out of my diet really affect my mental health, for example? Okay. If it's too weird, I want the client to tell me, you know, if it's not something you're willing to do, if it's not something that you can squeeze into your schedule, tell me that. And I think we do get into this place where maybe we don't want to disappoint our therapist, or maybe we don't want to appear that we don't that we don't care or we're not willing to make change. But if I know, you know, for example, I love cheese, you know, like you're wanting me to do away with cheese. Mm. Okay. For how long? (laughs) And, And I do know cheese is one of those things for me that I shouldn't eat a lot of it, but I've also learned white cheeses are better than orange or yellow cheeses for me. So if I'm going to have cheese, let me choose a white cheese, probably not every day, (laughs) you know? And so that like, just really being honest with yourself, being honest with your provider, what are you willing to do? Yeah. It's so essential to have that two-way conversation, right? Like, and, and I'm glad you, you do that with your patients. Cause I think, like you said, there's like a fear as, as, um, not talking to your therapist about your own like comfort levels regarding certain things. And 
not everything is a prescription, like you said, right? It's it's mm -hmm. you're not prescribing a walk. You're telling them to go try it out, um, be yeah. with their thoughts. You know, some people may find that uncomfortable to be with their thoughts that long, or you know, go with their partner, go with a friend, um, yeah. or your kids, right? Like, kids. you know, I don't have enough time to exercise my kids. This, this. this. Okay, we'll take your kids with you. That's They'll it. love that. <laughs> yeah. And, and kids are so simple. Most of the time they just love like uh, being outside. That's all that matters. Yeah. yeah. And notice the birds. Like that's going to get you more present. You know, notice the temperature, notice the wind. You know, if you're fortunate enough to live in an area where there's some beautiful, you know, land, something, mountains, rivers, beaches, streams, you know, notice those. That's going to get you back in your body. You know, a lot of these things, we can do multiple things at one time and get the benefit of it this this like and a lot of our listeners are from north america and i'll say like generally speaking north america is beautiful landscape everywhere right yeah. and wherever you go state province would you name it it's beautiful like you just step outside um and of course we're in a day with technology but like you said just look at the birds i think i love that you said that because my wife and i have a practice of calling out certain birds learning about them um, learning about their behaviors and it, it just kind of shifts your whole perspective of like yeah. how important is my life you know in the grand scheme of things right and you know this weekend we went kayaking with friends my headspace was so much better Monday morning now granted Monday was a holiday here in the U.S. but my headspace was so much better Monday morning because I had vitamin D I had exercise I had being present in my body. I had interaction with others. So the loneliness factor wasn't in play either. It was two hours. And I'm still reaping the benefit of that the end of the week. Absolutely. Yeah. And quality of life, I think I, I bring this uh, up a lot. I think quality of life is something that um, should be focused on a lot from a mental health uh, perspective. It's not something that, you know, economists focus on when we talk about growth. Uh, it's not something we focus on. We're talking about our finances. You know, we look at like a certain sum of money in our bank account. We think we have a good quality of life. And I think right. what you just said about what you did on the weekend, that's, I think, the quality of life factor that we're looking for, right? Yeah. And um, yeah. how challenging is is bringing that up? Because I feel like in, in America today, like generally speaking, we all, we're trying to focus on like living longer, trying to have a better life. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, from a mental health standpoint, we can't really say, hey, go exercise that much, right? Or is that right. is that right. something that you're saying should be part of the discourse a little bit more? I personally think it should be part of the discourse. Now, here in the U.S., of course, I have to be careful with language so that I'm not practicing outside of my scope. But I can say, hey, look at this research study. This shows these things make a difference. And so, you know, I have those things to share with my clients, you know, when, when clients come to me and, you know, what is the meaning of success? You know, I just asked that yesterday. What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to have a successful relationship? You know, and really honing down, is this definition yours or is this what you've learned? Mm -hmm. You know, for me personally, I've never been a keep up with the Joneses type person. Yeah. Like, I don't care what anybody else has. Like, th that just doesn't speak to me. My husband would tell you, if you line up a list of, of you know, which sink do you want? I'm probably going to pick the most expensive one because I do like sleek or whatever. But it's not about what the Joneses have. It's about what I like. And so part of therapy, I think, is really what is your definition? You know, what, how will you know, you know, the miracle question is what we teach our grad students. Ask the miracle question. If you woke up tomorrow and things were perfect, what would that look like? And go for that. Go towards whatever that is. And, and deconstruct what isn't yours. You know, being in community, um, there are things that people value that are kind of thrust upon us. And so it does take a strength to, to be able to say, I don't really value that. That that's not really important to me. 
That's a very good point. Um, you know, what you're speaking about really reminds me of this new um, documentary series that came out on Netflix about blue zones. It's where, um, you know, you find people in the world that have the highest um, high, like, quality high quality of life and they live over the age of 100, the centenarians the most. And they found a lot of what you just said, you know, like sunlight, uh, vitamin D, exercise, uh, a little bit of socializing. Um, mm -hmm. And also introspection. I think that's where um, you know mental health therapy can can play that role. When you talked about, I, I, let's go back to like preventative um, care because I think a lot of what we focus on, you know, is is reactive in the industry right now. And you know, as a as a consumer or as a patient, I'm like, right. Well, my one doctor is telling me one thing. My nutritionist is telling me this. My really? GP is afraid to tell me I'm overweight my uh even though i might be you know and these are the things that even though you know hearing that you're overweight for example can hurt can be like well i don't want that i don't uh, maybe you'll just change doctors but really i think it's still necessary for the patient to know right like how it affects them and for some people high blood pressure and like risks affect them more than others right so Absolutely. they're at risk for certain things right so yeah. um what is your like opinion on you know how th this can change you know without uh, you know like uh, let's say in the next five to ten years where would you like us to be in the, in the, in this uh, in the preventative space? I have a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> um, I am a, probably a terrible patient for my doctors mm. because I'm going to ask the questions. Same. You know, if they're telling me hey, this is a problem. This lab work shows this, or your blood work is here, or your blood pressure is here. My first thought is, is there a way to manage this without medication? I have intimate knowledge of the drug research industry. You cannot take a pill without it affecting something else. Not possible. So can I take care of this in another way? And maybe that looks like vitamins or minerals or herbs, like, and also why are we going straight to this instead of other stuff? And I, I'll give you a personal story here. I'd started with um, back pain, which wasn't new for me. Um, working in the medical field as I did, I was on my feet a lot, like I'm middle-aged, there's arthritis in my back. Like I'm familiar with all of these things went to a doctor, actually it was a, a PA physician assistant. And he said, I want to give you this muscle relaxer and I want to give you this anti-inflammatory and I want you to do physical therapy. Thank you. Is there anything else I can do? Well, you know, losing weight would always help. Exercise would help. You know, he went through the whole functional medicine piece afterwards, right? So I left the doctor's office. I did not fill those prescriptions. And so I did go to physical therapy. I asked them to teach me things I could do at home. One of the things that we did um, was aquatic physical therapy. Well, my local gym has a pool. So I started doing those physical therapy exercises in the pool. You know, I circled back to my nurse practitioner that's a functional medicine, my primary care. And she said, you know, you can take some turmeric and see if that helps with inflammation. Um, you know, you could use some essential oils to rub on the area. Um, she's like, what's your day looking like? Well, at that point, we're on the heels of COVID. I'm sitting in a chair all day, sometimes not getting up between clients. And I realized, oh, this started when I didn't go out to my waiting room to get clients anymore. Mm. Okay, so what does that mean? That means I need to adjust my schedule, have some time so that I'm getting up. Maybe I'm going outside with my dog to throw the ball or whatever. Um, maybe I'm getting up to get, you know, refresh my water, whatever. I never started those meds. My back got better. Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and like, isn't that so simple? Like, I think it, it comes back to you're educating yourself, but you're mm -hmm. also taking control of your own health. Um, yeah. 
and your doctors work for you. Your therapist works for you. And are there doctors that aren't going to be receptive to that? Absolutely. You know, it took me a while to find providers that were willing to let me question them. Um, and again, that's that's a whole economic thing. You know, big hospital systems are only wanting the doctor to spend five minutes, 10 if they have to. But we have information at our fingertips. And yes, we have to be mindful of where we're getting that information. But, you know, national organizations, you know, there's the Institute for Functional Medicine, for example, like there are organizations out there that have information. Look at the research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, so, it, sorry, go ahead. Stomach, sorry about that. This whole, um, you know, the majority of our serotonin, which is our feel good, happy hormone is made in our stomach, not our brain, our stomach. I didn't know that. So, you know, anything that we can do to help our stomach be healthier is going to boost our serotonin. And if we're giving anti-inflammatories and we're giving um, medications for reflux, we're not going to get the serotonin <laughs> because our, our stomachs are inflamed. That answers a lot of questions for me. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, you know, uh, it's one of those things where you know you learn as you go as well as an interviewer. Yeah. I keep learning about these things. So, uh, and I'm not like I'm not totally anti-medication. Um, let's be careful and let's see what else is there. Sometimes, sometimes medications are necessary. No one wants surgery while they're wide awake, right? Like sometimes you've got to have medications, but you don't always have to have medications. That's it. Yeah. See, see where, you know, it intersects. I mean, at some point too much medication or just, you know, not in like medication at all. You know, there needs to be that sort of balance for each, uh, each person and their health. Um, yeah. Going back to, you know, shopping for therapists, the way I think people are doing it these days, I think they're and sort they of like, <laughs> as they should. Um, and, you know, this is why I, I have people on the podcast, which is helps them understand a different voice, right, for each individual. So, you know, for somebody listening to you, you know, what would be your recommendation? You know, how would you somebody and, and I would just say, you know, somebody who hasn't yet introspected enough to know what kind of uh you know, uh, therapy session I want with my therapist. Yeah. How would you tell people to approach mental therapy and mental health therapy, therapy in general? And how would you tell them to plan it out so that if you said the therapist works for you? Yeah. So my first thought is, you know, look at what your symptoms are, what you're feeling, you know, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling depressed? Are you, um, was there a traumatic event that happened? You know, kind of look at, what your symptom is, and then, you know, research who treats that symptom, you know, and also what's the standard of care for that treatment, for that symptom, you know, like standard of care for post-traumatic stress is going to be EMDR, brain spotting, somatic experiencing. Um, so then look for therapists that do that sort of thing. And, and most of these well-known treatments like again there's a national organization that has a directory that you can look um you know go see the therapist if it's not a good fit don't be afraid to go to someone else you know mm -hmm. i'm not the therapist for everybody i'm not and so um hopefully you know a therapist is able and willing to say, you know, like, for example, I don't generally treat addiction. Sometimes that shows up in my work, but I'm going to generally outsource for that sort of thing. So if someone's coming to me with addiction issues, and I know that, you know, there's going to be a conversation of, I'm not the best person to treat the addiction piece of this, but addiction often is tagged with other mental health issues, often trauma. I can absolutely treat your trauma, but we need someone else to do this addiction piece because that's, that's not something I do. And you deserve to have someone that knows what they're doing, treating that. 
you know, again, not that I can't treat addiction. I can, and it does come up, but I'm not your primary person for addiction. Absolutely. I think that's the honesty is something that I think many would appreciate, right? Like just understanding the limits of each therapist and understanding um, that medicine is, is, should be a whole uh, approach, a wholesome approach and not just a siloed or individualized approach. Right. Um, I often find like our, our, our chat on nutrition is something that's top of mind right now, or our chat on exercise is something that's top of mind right now. And it will be top of mind because we've just come out of a pandemic. Right. And I think um, people are looking at, you know, the European lifestyle, for example, or, you know, like certain um, foods in East Asia and things like that. And I think sort of integrating that, into like one approach can be a little bit taxing, right? Um, One of the things that I find interesting is sort of like an exercise, right? Like uh, internally. So like when I thought to start therapy for myself, I was like, you know, analyzing whether I have anxiety or is it depression? Mm -hmm. Is it uh, exhaustion, fatigue? You know, there's so many different- All of those are what I call sisters. Like they're all intermingled. So you can have all of them. That's a great point. And I was going to ask you, like, how do you define parameters? Because it, your brain is unorganized a lot of times when, mm-hmm. and I think disorganized uh, thinking is a symptom of one of those um, things. All of those. Yeah. <laughs> all those, um, yeah. So how do you start when, like, when you're so disorganized in your head and you don't really know where to start? So, you know, where do you analyze your anxiety? Because, you know, as a therapist, you can say, hey, well, I don't see the anxiety at level eight, where as you may see it at level eight, maybe to level six. And how does that discussion happen? So a lot of times for clients, it doesn't really matter if I see it as a six Mm -hmm. and they think it's a nine, I'm going to treat it as if it's a nine. Mm -hmm. They're the expert of themselves. So in the whole scheme of things, it may not be the worst anxiety I've ever seen, but to them, it's the worst they've ever seen, you know, um, as far as the diagnosis piece, um, you know, we have a book called the DSM, the diagnostic and statistical manual. And that tells us, you know, in order to be diagnosed with anxiety, you have to meet this criteria. And it's very, there is some objectivity to it, but again, what I see as a problem may not be what someone else sees as a problem. So I I tell all of my clients, they're the expert of themselves, you know, and that I trust that if they feel like it's a nine, then that's telling me I really need to get some coping skills on board so we can get that down. So we can even do the other work, you know? Um, And so there are so many so much crossover and diagnosis, I feel like. I think everything is a spectrum. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about um, autism spectrum disorder. Depression is a spectrum. Anxiety is a spectrum. It's it's all a spectrum. And it's not uncommon in my practice, particularly, again, because I am a trauma therapist, when we resolve the trauma, it's like, oh, look at that. You know, another diagnosis comes up that's probably been there all along, but it's not screaming as loudly as the trauma, right? The trauma is what brought them in. You know, I had several clients that as we were resolving their trauma, ADHD popped up, you know, and they had had those symptoms since childhood, but it wasn't called that. I think for a lot of, quite frankly, it was because they were women. ADHD looks different in women than men. So, um, you know, it wasn't, they weren't behavior problems in school, so they didn't get the diagnosis. They didn't get the medications. Um, but as we start peeling back the onion, like I say, we find these other things, you know, a lot of times people come to me and they think the biggest issue is the depression. That's what we work on first we start peeling that back and it's like, oh, you're depressed because you're so anxious. (laughs) And so, you know, we just kind of shift gears and typically coping skills that work for anxiety also work for depression that also work for trauma. Like there's a lot of crossover. And so 
I think as a clinician, one of the biggest things is not being so rigid in my approach that I'm not willing to consider something else. You know, back to if a client says, I'm not willing to do that thing, whatever that is. Okay, well, how else could we do that? That's a big point because uh, like whenever someone sticks to one approach, I think sometimes, you know, the patient feels like all the responsibilities on them. Um, And it sometimes, because therapy has changed so much in the last 10 years, I feel like, you know, and I'm sure that's why, where I think, you know, your input is so key is because patients aren't getting that same feedback they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, could be for litigious reasons, could be for the way things are becoming so siloed and individualized that, you know, allowed to say certain things. Um, it just feels like, you know, you have to physically branch out and do all these things. Like, for example, you mentioned somatic treatment. It's so important for people to know that, that there's a center for that, that people mm-hmm. are doing specialized treatment for that. And you have knowledge for that, for example. And like, so you know, we, we forget that these are things that can be in our control, but it isn't public knowledge, right? right. And mm-hmm. it's that initial consult that I think that matters the most um, when you are getting into uh, therapy. And it, it's not just, hey, well, I'm depressed, like, let's, let's uh, figure this out. I think it needs to right. be like um, a very, very much, like you said, a two-way conversation. Like, I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't agree with that approach or this there could be some level of disagreement right it is such a partnership you know like I I will tell my clients I'm not willing to work harder than you do but I will work just as hard as you do and so you know again with trauma for example we we can't hit hard every single session right like we've got to have kind of easygoing sessions at some point too so that we can build the relationship because research shows over and over and over again, the modality almost becomes irrelevant. What's most important is the therapeutic relationship. And so that partnership is so incredibly important. And when clients say to me that didn't work, that's not a bad thing okay, let's find something that does, you know, I'm not, they're not going to offend me by telling me that something that I suggested didn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. (laughs) You know, again, it's that individualized piece. And so if you're finding yourself with a clinician that's not willing to get out of that rigidity, you might want to look for another clinician. Wonderful. I, I think the modality piece is the key part. It's like having that partnership with your therapist and um, challenging them, but also within the means, right? Like understanding right. their limitations and understanding your own limitations. Um, and I, you know, and I, I'm very frank with my clients. I'll say, okay, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a medical doctor. I mean, in my intake paperwork, I say, I will suggest things that could be helpful, it is your responsibility to check with your doctor. Um, You know, like I said, with the turmeric being helpful for inflammation, like that's a known thing. There's tons of research out there that says that, but turmeric might not be right for you based on other medications you're taking. And that's not a decision that I can make or a recommendation. I'm not a prescriber in that way. Um, And so there's always that caveat and, you know, do your research, be your own advocate and let your therapist help you choose the language for being your own advocate. Um, yeah, they can help with that too. Yeah. If there's one thing I take out of this conversation is go to your therapist with the approach of full medicine, like full, like your full medical health, if you can, like you don't have to go through every piece of paper, but just tell them, a little bit about yourself and not just the issues that are currently running um, in your head. And I, I, you know, I ask all of my clients, what medications are you on? And I'm not just wanting psychiatric meds. I want to know all of them. And, you know, I do see side effects of medications that are common. And, you know, once medications are on the market, 
in theory, physicians are supposed to report when there's serious adverse effects from it, which is why we have recalls and that sort of thing. Um, but everybody is so individualized. There's no way we can predict what's going to happen for every person with this one pill, <laughs> you know, um, and how that plays in to, you know, if you're taking a medication that decreases vitamin D, for example, um, that has potential to make you depressed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a, that's an epidemic across North America, across Europe and places where you don't see much sunlight, right? Where yeah. um, we kind of, we call it seasonal affective disorder, but, yeah. or like whenever daylight savings is, is added on for whatever reason, people feel that additional hour hit them even more, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we need sunshine, we need earth, we need, you know, we need real food and we're not getting that. I'm very grateful, by the way. Thank you so much, uh, Sandy, for, for this really insightful chat. Um, the floor is yours. I want you to maybe, you know, send a message out to the listeners. I'll let them know what you're doing, you know, how they can get in touch with you or, or any, uh, you know, uh, thoughtful messages you can leave behind for anybody thinking about um, getting into um, therapy. Yeah. So um, my business is Foothold Counseling. And so if our license in South Carolina or our license in the United States is not transferable. So right now I'm licensed in uh, Georgia, South Carolina, and I can offer telehealth in Florida. And my website is footholdcounseling.com. If you're looking for a present approach, a today approach, not getting over past stuff, um, I do offer coaching and consulting. And that website is sandyboonecoachingandconsulting.com. Um, and if you are a therapist listening to this podcast, I can also help with some consultation to help you help your clients um, and really you know, be your own advocate. That's, that's my take home. Be your own advocate, do your research. Um, let your family know you're researching. Cause like, certainly if you're depressed or anxious, it can be hard to do the research. Um, it, it's out there for us to find. Lovely. Lots of nuggets and insights there for patients and therapists alike, which is the best kind of conversation. Thank you so much, Sandy. Um, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thank you, Ash. Take care.